Life Audio. Welcome to Christian Natural Health with naturopathic Dr. Lauren DeVille. Christian Natural Health is the podcast on how to get and stay healthy God's way. You'll hear topics on nutrition, exercise, sleep, avoiding toxicity, meditating on scripture, what supplements to take, stress management, defeating anxiety and worry, how to reconcile Eastern medicine approaches with Christianity, and a whole lot more. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lauren. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Welcome back to another episode of Christian Natural Health. Today, I'm excited to have Kelly Needham with us. Kelly is a servant of Jesus Christ, a student of the Bible, and COO of her home, where she lives with her husband, Jimmy, and their five children. She's the author of Friendish, Reclaiming Real Friendship in a Culture of Confusion, and has been a contributing author to many other books, including Faithful and Beautifully Distinct. She has served on the staff of multiple churches, serving in youth, college, and women's ministry. Kelly currently co-leads a women's teaching program, training women to accurately handle the word of truth and co-hosts a podcast, Clearly, with Jimmy and Kelly Needham. Whether writing or speaking, Kelly's aim is to convince as many people as possible that nothing compares to knowing Jesus. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Lauren. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So we're talking today about the concept of purpose. So tell us a little bit about your journey with this concept of finding God's purpose for your life and how it's maybe evolved over the years. Sure. Well, you know, like a lot of people in high school and college, I had a lot of big goals and aspirations for my life. And as somebody who'd been following Jesus really wholeheartedly and passionately since junior high, I had a lot of other youth leaders speaking that into me, like God's going to do big things through your life. And um, that's great. And then I got married pretty young to a man named Jimmy, who then we kind of had a curveball. His music career took off after that. So we were going to both do like very ordinary, ordinary jobs in the world of finance or teaching, all sorts of things. And then all of a sudden, our life is just full of interviews and TV shows and concerts and touring. Yeah, it was very fun. But uh, I was very much the behind the scenes role of that whole new world. So with my finance degree, I very naturally fell into the role of management. I oversaw our merchandise. I did the tour planning and travel and all of that. So here, you know, me with the big dreams in my heart and like a sense of, you know, calling on my life. I'm just in the behind the scenes world. I feel like just a tag along to this whole ministry that seems important every night people are telling me how my husband's music has changed their life and I'm like that's great yeah what about about, uh this um t-shirt that you just bought that's really (laughs) nicely folded and has no wrinkles in it like 
sure. is that doing anything for you? <laughs> really in that space that I, you know, I think just by comparison that I was just in that world, I began to really question, what does it mean to have a purposeful life? Is this my purpose? Am I like in a waiting season? Is this like a holding cell for like when I get to do the cool things later? And I really began to wrestle with this idea then and fight for what truths can I hold on to, to help me in this season? Yeah, absolutely. And so what truths did you come to that helped you? Well, the biggest one is probably this, um, through the ups and downs of all of that being stripped of work that felt meaningful, right? I'm doing very, doesn't seem important work. Um, I began to continue to meet with God in his word and talk to him in prayer and realize he was still there with me. And a question kind of bubbled up in my heart that I feel like God has asked me many times, but it was, it just came up in that season and felt like him. He was just looking at me, asking the question, Hey, am I still enough for you? Am I still enough for you? Even when you don't have the types of verbs that you want to do in your life right now, I was like, wow, you are still enough. That's really why I'm in this whole thing. That's what Jesus came to do is remove all the barriers for us to get to God. It wasn't so that we could do great things for God. It was so that we could know God. Uh, that really is the thing. That is what it's about. And it so it was interesting to realize when all my preferred verbs are stripped away, I still have the thing I was made for. And so what bubbled up in that season was this truth. My purpose is not something that I do. My purpose is a person. And he's with me all the time. I don't, my purpose isn't tied to things that I do or don't do. It's tied to a noun. And so as long as I'm breathing and I get to know him, my life is full of immense purpose. And that began to really stabilize me and infuse my life with meaning, even when eventually I wrote books and did other things. But, you know, just because you get to do cool things, I still have to go home and do the laundry and talk to my neighbors and take care of my kids. And those days and those moments continue to have as much meaning as the visible ones because I now was... Uh, connecting my heart to you. My purpose is a, is a noun. My purpose is a person, not something that I do. Beautiful. So I listened to a lot of Andrew Womack ministries. And I remember the story that he told that was about a woman who had written him who was in solitary confinement because she committed a crime and she was never going to get out. Like this was going to be her, her life. And there, she was suicidal at the time. Mm. She listened to his message, which was exactly what you're saying, that our purpose is to praise God and to know him and to have fellowship with him. And she suddenly felt that even alone, when there was nobody that she could touch, she had joy and she had peace because she had fellowship with her creator and she understood what she was made for. I love that. Mm -hmm. So we're so much of our culture. I feel like, especially the youth culture, when you're growing up, the idea of like, you should do big things, like what you're talking about. What do we do with that feeling? So there's this piece of we, you know, we're enough and God is enough and the relationship is enough, but then what, you know, is is there still like, (laughs) okay, but what am I supposed to do next? Is it, should I just like exist and praise God and not work or like, (laughs) I mean, what what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the following questions that come from that is what do I do with my longings to do great things? Um, and those are really, there's four really particular longings I address, uh, in this new book that I just released that I think are human longings. I think they're good. Um, the desire to be great, the desire to be seen, the desire to make an impact, like that your life would make a difference. And then the desire to have something unique to do. 
that I want something that's unique to me to do. And I think all of those longings are good. I actually don't think that they're wrong. Uh, I think that they're just misplaced. For a lot of us, we're trying to answer all those questions, meet all those longings with us at the center of the equation. Uh, I need to do great things. I need to be seen. My effort and mine alone needs to make an impact. And I need to figure out my unique thing that I was made to do. And I'm going to go do all that. And it keeps us in this protagonist role, this, this central figure role. And it, it puts a lot of pressure on us, which is why I think we have a hard time resting. It's why we have a hard time taking time off of our work because we're so starved for meaning and significance uh, that we put ourselves into work mode because we've got to achieve it. But when you take yourself out of the central main character role and let God take that place in your life, okay, my uh, hunger for greatness is going to come through him. What does that look like? How do I attach this meaning, you know, this, this desire to be great or to be seen to a person? And you see that struggle with all of Jesus' followers all through the Bible. You see the disciples come up. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, right? They want to know. It's an age-old desire. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He does not look at them and say, stop trying to be great. That's the wrong way. Instead, he says, I want true greatness for you. And in one moment, when they ask this question, Jesus picks up a child and says, this is what it means to be great. And I think what he's getting at is that children, by their very nature, are recipients. They receive everything, right? They have food because someone else buys it for them and gives it to them and prepares it for them. They have somewhere to sleep because someone else made space for that. And they're happy with it. They're like, great, I'll be a recipient in the relationship. And I think true greatness comes when we're able to take up that role ourselves and go, you know what? God is the contributor in the world. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Am I willing to believe that statement and say, my work on its own can't do anything, but his can? Am I willing to be a recipient in this relationship? Am I willing to serve the great one? And as I do, I'll actually tap into true greatness, but it's going to come through someone else. Ultimately, that greatness is going to be something shared with me, not something I possess within myself. Um, So I think the longings are good and uh, have outworkings in our day-to-day activities. I think that Uh, As we find our purpose to be a person, it should produce a life full of hard work, but not because the work gives us meaning, because it's an overflow of the meaning we already have. Totally. So it sounds like you're talking about kind of shifting the starting place, but once you have that place of fellowship with the father and sufficiency in him, what do we do with, you know, God's place, dreams and desires in us, as you keep kind of alluding to So where do we go from there? Like, let's, once we get to this place of of feeling like we are enough and it is enough, but he also has good works set aside for us in advance. How do we kind of get from point A to point B at that point? Right. Well, I think it uh, comes back to what is driving my activity. What is uh, the main goal? Is the main goal my dream or my passion or is it Jesus? And I don't think that means we squash the dream or the passion. I think God is, is not, um, he's not out to just be mean to us. I go, let me give you a passion for this thing so that I can continually squash it and make you just (laughs) just in a miserable space. But if we read our Bible, we know that there are a lot of people that follow him that are dying to, uh, all sorts of preferences along the way. And, and ultimately so that more fruitfulness will come from their lives. It's, it's, uh, we know that there's cost baked into following Jesus. He said to himself, um, but 
if my dream or my passion is what I live for, it is like, I get up in the morning because of this passion, then that's always going to control us. It's always going to be our Lord. It's going to essentially become a type of idol, even something as good as ministry, as something as good as doing great things for God in the world that actually, I think, can take God's place that you actually like doing things for God more than you like God himself. And that's really dangerous and subtle. But if we wake up and go, I live for Jesus, then we're actually able to do the very basic command of the Christian life where he says, follow me. And I think that's what those verses like in Ephesians 2.10, there's good work set before us or Hebrews 12 says that uh, there's a race to run, but it says it's the race set before us to run. You know, it's not the race we necessarily curate that God is going before us, preparing good works for us to do. And our only real command is not to figure out how to live our dream, uh, how to achieve our purpose. It's just follow me. Will you wake up in the morning and follow me and do the good works I set before you? And which like for me today is to enjoy this conversation with you. And I've prayed and asked God to help my words be as clear and helpful as possible. But then the rest of my day is also going to include caring for a sick child. I have a sick kiddo downstairs. It's like, that's just as much of a good work set before me. It requires a different set of skills and maybe a different set of things I don't like as much. And I think it's okay to admit that these are not my favorite verbs, God, (laughs) but you set them before me to do today. Would you help me to do this? And, And that all comes from, am I following a person or am I following a passion? And I think if we follow a passion, it's going to ultimately enslave us to our work and actually blind our eyes from some of the good works that God is actually setting in front of us because we don't perceive them to be the ones that we really want to do or feel called to do. And so we feel closed off to them. Um, so there is a lot of good work in front of us, but I think God does more of that setting in front of us than we think. It's less about our strategy and more about his great strategy for our lives. So it was popping into my head a couple of things as you were talking about. One of them was the verse that says, whatever you do, That's do right. it all unto the glory of God, no matter what it is, even if it's something mundane and tiny. Um, that I just finished this book uh, called The Gap in the Gain. Uh, it's, a, mm. it's a great story about, I mean, it's, it's a self-help book, but the concept is that a lot of, especially the high achieving types, the entrepreneurs, they have a tendency to look only at how far fallen, how far they've fallen short from their goal mm. as to how far they've actually come. And it is written by a Christian. Like he alludes to that a number of times. So it's not overtly a Christian book, but it's an interesting concept. And a lot of the patients that I see in mm. my practice that are overachievers, they have a tendency to fall into adrenal fatigue, which is mm-hmm. where suddenly they just don't have the energy to go get through their day because they're trying to do it all in their own strength. That's right. What you're describing is just this place of peace and rest and recognition that we're connected to an infinite power source and we don't have to do it all ourselves. And we can, That's just, right. you know, it's a journey and it's, it's exciting to see what it mm-hmm. is in front of us in any given day. That's right. And it also gives us the freedom to work a little bit differently. Um, and I think with a little more, uh, like to actually do the work better when we need our work to be okay. When what we're doing is where we get our sense of value and meaning, then like failure is terrifying. If I fail, like, what does that say about me? If my very identity is wrapped into this, but if my identity is outside of that thing and I'm now fully satisfied, I have a deep meaning today, whether I'm resting or working now, when I do pick up work, I can actually do it to serve the work, if that makes sense, not need the work. I'm free to take risks, even if the risk fails, 
I, which usually produces some of the best work when you really are free to like, just try new things and go, it might be terrible. And if it is, I'm like, cool, that's fine because I'm not tied to this thing. That's not what I live for. Um, we're actually going to produce better work, uh, from a place of less anxiety and stress because we're not living for the work, living for the passion or the thing that we think is our purpose when we can remember, you know, I'm made for a person that doesn't change whether I fail or succeed today. So I can now be free to work hard and well. Absolutely. So, and I feel like you're alluding to the concept of whether or not our work has become an idol, like something that is the the main focus of our lives and anything we put in that place is going to ultimately end up enslaving us, whether right. it's something else for sure. So how does our world in general lie to us about this? Like how, what role does social media play in causing yeah. people to just subtly think that I should be doing this, that, or the other? Yeah. There's a couple things that come to mind. Um, I think our we have a extremely high exposure to what other people are doing because of social media. And that produces the question, is what I'm doing enough? It's the same thing that happened when I was on tour with Jimmy. I really didn't have any aspiration to be an author or be in the public light at all. Um, but when I was put in that space with somebody else, it was like by comparison, what I was doing looked really like pitiful. Like, what is this accomplishing? And that was before social media existed the way that it does now. And so now I think everybody's feeling that. We're seeing uh, our peers do all sorts of things. So that's one factor. The other factor is the technological technological advancements in the last even just 10 years are wild and have made everything possible. Uh, even just from writing books, uh, I've written a couple now, and it used to be that you needed a publisher to do that. Well, you don't anymore. You just need an Amazon seller account. And you put that manuscript in there, they will print it for you, ship it for you, advertise it for you if you pay them enough, all the things. The same thing with podcasting, same thing with music. It's really just a, a huge buffet out there of opportunities. So the combination of I'm seeing more people do things than ever, and I could go do that thing if I wanted. There's no barriers anymore. Um, gosh, that just screams at us and makes uh, a basic ordinary day that's a good day of doing good works for God that he set before you look like failure. What did I do today? I have nothing to show for it. You know, I what I cared for my sick kid. I had a conversation with my neighbor. I made a meal for somebody at church or whatever the thing is that all of a sudden a glorious day, right? Done. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. That's lived for the glory of God with him in his right place is our purpose. Something extremely meaningful that will accomplish much fruit for the kingdom. All of a sudden that day looks like a bad day. If we're not careful, if, if we let that lie to us and tell us that purpose and purposeful living comes from doing great things that are seen by other people that are postable and Instagrammable, uh, that's not where purpose is found. It's not found in our verbs. It's not found in what we do. It's found in who we know. And that doesn't have the same measurability. And so it takes a lot of faith to walk that way. A lot of constant reminders of what really does matter in life. Right. So, and how do you balance this concept of like, be okay where you are with what you're doing each individual day with like, I should have a single unique purpose in my life. Like, do you believe in that concept that yeah. everybody has one thing that like one big thing, I guess that God has put mm -hmm. before them, or is it a whole <laughs> lot of little things or how do you answer that question? Yeah. Um, I actually believe that we all have the same purpose. So mm -hmm. I would say, and, and that probably rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but uh, and you can read my book and read my argument and then write me an email. 
And I would love to hear from any of your listeners about it and have a great conversation. Um, because I did a lot of interviews for this book and I pitched that to people and they were like, I don't like what you just said. I'm like, <laughs> I totally get it. Sure. Um, because so anyway, here's my point. Uh, I think the scriptures are clear that our purpose is God. It's a noun. We exist for him. And I have the same purpose as you. You exist for God. I exist for God. Now, does that mean our lives are going to look exactly the same? No. Um, but I don't think the diverse ways we live are our purpose. I don't think they can be. I, I think as soon as you take purpose and place it anywhere other than God, um, you have embraced a worldview that is a, from a place of privilege that excludes large uh, sections of people in the world, uh, children people who are at the end of their life, maybe on their deathbed, people who are sick and suffering, um, whose job is just to receive care every day, the disabled community, people in poverty. Like there are whole groups of people on the planet, many of them believers who don't have the option to even consider what's the unique thing I've made to do. They have things to do in front of them. And that's all, that's it. They don't have choices like we do. And so if we're going to believe this message that I have something unique in me that I need to live out, it's actually a place of privilege. So that's my big, one of my big problems with it. Um, but I do think there are things only I can do and things that only you can do. That's that longing for something unique to do, I think is good. And I think is God given, but, um, we are not the designers of that. That makes sense. It's in the heart of God to, um, create our unique circumstances. So, when I ask myself that question, what can only I do? Here are the first things that come to my mind. <laughs> only I can walk with God, me and God, right? A relationship is two people communing together. No one else can do that for me. No one else can facilitate my relationship with him. Only I can be the wife to Jimmy. Only I can be the mom to my five kids. No one else can play that role. Only I am the next door neighbor of the two people living on either side of my house who happen to not know Jesus. Like that's a huge thing. Only I have been put in this particular part of the South Dallas area in this school with my kid's teacher. And yes, only I have my unique set of circumstances and the ability to write and the opportunities to write. That is a part of it. But I hope that just it opens your mind and go, wow, there's so many things only I can do. I really do. Every moment of my, my life is utterly unique. And that means I need to show up to each moment of my life with a real sense of gravity, like only I'm in this conversation with the cashier at the, the grocery store right now who happened to share this detail that her child's in the hospital. What does God have right now? But it, behind all that is a God orchestrating great plans for his people, uh, through his people. It's not actually in me that I have to look in, inside myself and figure out what's the unique thing I was made to do. Um, I do think all of us have unique contributions to make to the world. I just don't see any command in scripture that we need to go figure that out. Yeah, yeah well, absolutely. It's really interesting the way you describe that, because as you're talking, I'm thinking like most of us, when we ask the question of what is my purpose, we're zooming out. We're trying to see the whole forest and we're saying, That's what right. great thing are we supposed to do? And you're zooming in and you're saying, mm -hmm. what's the tree that is right in front of me that I'm walking past that I should be, be focusing on. And mm -hmm. it's just like that relational journey, that day-to-day -day kind of a thing. That's great. Yeah. The other thing I really liked about what you just said about the, the concept of it is a place of privilege to be able to act, to ask that kind of a question. When I study the Middle Ages, boy, those people, like, all they could really do is, I mean, and that's true for today too, but especially 
you know, way back when, when people were basically just spending all of their time and energy, just trying to meet their basic needs and not die. I mean, that's right. And this idea of as, as we get further and further along in terms of technology that buys us more freedom, it almost sense of paralysis because, you know, when you have options, how do you know which one to choose? It can be really overwhelming if you think of it that way of like anything is possible. Therefore, where do I even start? That's right. And none of us want to waste our lives. We want our lives to count. And, and we also are trying to immediately see the end of the story right now. You know, it's like the people in our Bible that we study, we're given the privilege of looking at their lives and seeing how it mattered but they didn't even know that, you know, I think about the midwives in the beginning of the book of Exodus who are, you know, they're told to kill the baby boys and they don't do it. But, you know, Moses doesn't come back to set the people free for 80 more years after that. I mean, for all they know, nothing changed, but what we know is God used their activity so that Moses would survive. And so that the scene was set for a huge part of redemptive history. And of course they got the end of the story eventually, probably when they're with God in heaven. And we may not get the end of our story and we have to be okay with that. I think we want the instant gratification of seeing all the ways our life matters right now. But Jesus is constantly in the New Testament, looking at his followers and giving them, like you said, a very zoomed in focus. Pray for daily bread. Don't ask for monthly provision just today, right? And follow me, not figure out what to do with your life. Peter, when you leave your net, here's the the 10 year plan of what you're going to do next. He just looks at, just stay with me. I mean, and that's really the command, you know, that you see at the end of Jesus's life, as he's getting ready to go to the cross in John 15, he looks at his followers and said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So stay with me, abide with me and fruit will come. It's a promise. So as long as we tether ourselves to the person of Christ and we stay close to him, the promise is you will be fruitful. Your life will make an impact. It will be effective it will produce fruit. You don't actually have to try to make it happen. You just plug into him, stay close. And even on days off in some way that we don't understand your life is making an impact because you plugged into the impact maker. And you'll see at the end of the day, at the end of your life, you'll be able to see that. Maybe you'll get little glimpses here and now of how it makes a difference. But for most people, even in the scriptures, they did not know how their activities mattered in the final estimation. Um, we do now we have that privileged place to see that, but they don't. Absolutely. So the verse that comes to me is like, trust in the Lord with all your heart and mind and understanding in all trust in him and he will direct your paths. I probably screwed that up a little bit, but I mean, that concept, you walk with him bit by bit and make sure you don't run ahead. And he's going to make sure he keeps you on track. Even if, as you say, you don't necessarily see the end picture, but that's what trusting is all about. Yes. What have I not asked you that you want to make sure you leave with our audience? Oh, um, I would say my one thought, um, to leave people with would be an encouragement to take back your imagination from the culture. There are so many images being shown to us every day, all the time of what makes life meaningful and significant and, I just don't think you can live in the way that we're talking about without a healthy imagination in a different way. It really does require me every day. uh, As I mentioned, when my kids are sick, I have to use my imagination to go, God, you are looking over from heaven. Who are you looking at? And then calling the attention of the angels, maybe say, come, come look at this. What is exciting you? 
Um, I know that faith excites you. God, help me to walk by faith in this moment. And remember, I have an audience. It might not be my Instagram audience or some podcast audience, but I have a better audience and it does matter. And I, I really have to steward my mind and my imagination to, to live uh, in the ways that we've been talking about. And that does take some effort to kind of like take off some things and go, I'm going to not take that as what is meaningful. And Lord, how, how can I retake my imagination with you and your kingdom in mind and live that way? Because this is a life where it, you know, the new Testament says we walk by faith, not sight. And that requires a healthy imagination to do that well. So that would be kind of my parting encouragement. Where can people go to learn more about you? Yeah, you can go to jimmyandkelly.com. That's where my husband and I share a website, our podcast and books and all sorts of other things are on there where you can follow us individually. So you could head over there and find a lot of resources related to some of these things we've talked about. Thanks so much, Kelly. This has been very encouraging. Appreciate it. Thanks, Lauren, so much for having me. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Are you looking for a holistically minded healthcare practitioner who truly treats root cause rather than symptom suppression? Unfortunately, even in the alternative healing professions, this isn't a given. That's why I've created wholehealthdoctor.com, a resource to help connect patients to healthcare practitioners in their area who share a root cause philosophy. Alternatively, most of the practitioners listed also practice telehealth. So if there isn't anyone local to you, you can still find a great practitioner to help you regain optimal health. Go to wholehealthdoctor.com. That's whole healthdr.com, type in your location or adjust the specialty that you're looking for and find the practitioner who's right for you. Thanks for listening to Christian Natural Health. This show is run by you, so please write in with topic and guest suggestions for future shows. For more great content, subscribe to Dr. Lauren's blog at www.drlaurendeville.com or follow her on Facebook or Twitter at Dr. Lauren DeVille. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating in iTunes. It really helps us to stand out so other people can discover great content as well. Have a great week and God bless you.
You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.